This morning, we have a very special guest with us, though. Um, Craig Sterling is one of our ministers from our Northeast section, and we're glad to have him part of our Northeast section, but he's not originally from our Northeast section. He is originally from Scotland, and, and he's got just this, this wild story about how he met his wife from Colombia um, as he was in Costa Rica, and she was in New Jersey, and they live here, and they're ministering in Colombia. It's just like all over the map, but a great story, and he's doing a great job down in Colombia. And so, without further ado, why don't you give a warm welcome, Greenwich welcome to Craig Sterling. Come on, Craig. Bless you, my brother. Thanks, man. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. It's a beautiful day. Well, praise God. So, isn't that crazy? So, I was, uh, I was born in Scotland. Still got a wee bit of my brogue I could put on, but you wouldn't understand me, so we'll go back to uh, Pennsylvanian kind of, well, semi-Pennsylvanian accent, all right, because now it's a mix. I feel like a mutt right now, you know. <laughs> anyway, we have uh, a ministry, as Dave said. Uh, it's really interesting how uh, God does things in life, isn't it? So here I am, born in Scotland, came to the, the coal region of Pennsylvania, and uh, God leads me down to Costa Rica. I was in language school. I knew I was going to be in missions, didn't know where. Uh, I was praying, and, and I was in language school, and I said, God, I, I love Spanish. I love the Spanish language and, and Latin culture. I, I love. And I prayed, and I said, God, I will go anywhere in South America. I will go anywhere, Central, South America, Caribbean, but I will not go to Colombia because they're crazy. They're nuts, the cartels, the drugs, the killing people. No, 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 I won't go there. So like two weeks later, I was talking to, my, to my, one of my workers that used to work for me in the university. And he says, hey, Craig, hey, you're learning Spanish. There's this great girl who's in my father-in-law's church in Tinton Falls, New Jersey. Why don't you write her in Spanish? She can write you in English. And I'm like, hey, this sounds great. I need to practice writing. So we wrote for about three months. I didn't see her. I didn't talk to her on the phone. And I'm like, God help me. I'm falling in love with this girl, and I'm just writing her. <laughs> so I met her for the first time December 22nd, 2007. Would you believe I was in Colombia three times next year? <laughs> it's funny how that works. Yeah, so, so that first time in Colombia, um, her visa was up. She went back to Colombia. And so if I wanted to visit her, I had to go to Colombia, and so we went down on, on what's called Holy Week, which is what, here, I, I don't even know, what do you call that, Pasqua, uh, Passover, there you go, it happens when you get the English-Spanish thing going, okay, so, so Holy Week I go down there, and I'm, and I'm walking down the street in a little town in Colombia, and God says, you're going to do ministry here, and I said, you didn't hear my prayer, <laughs> I said, no to Colombia. <laughs> Don't ever tell God no. <laughs> just, <laughs> just gonna, I'm going to help you out, save you the, the frustration. But uh, at the end of, by the end of that week, I had fallen in love with the Colombian people, with the country, with the culture. 
absolutely phenomenal. And so here we are a few years later in, ministering in Colombia. And so I get to share a little bit about, about the ministry if we want to go on with the, the slides, please. And uh, there's my family, uh, my kids and my beautiful wife. Here we go on. And uh, Colombia. Keep on going. There we go. And if we go right down south, if you just went about two and a half thousand miles down south, you would hit Bogota. And Bogota is the capital of Colombia, if you keep going. And in Colombia, we've got borders with Brazil, Venezuela, Ecuador, uh, it's uh, Panama, really incredible country, coast, Pacific, and, and Caribbean, if we keep going. And uh, you'll see this, the circle, the black circle there is actually where we do most of our ministry, although now we travel around uh, a lot more. And the red circle is where we live in a small town called San Hill. Okay, if you go on. Now, Colombia is, is about 50 million people. Pretty incredible country. Uh, in, the little, in the last two years, we've gained about two to four million Venezuelans as they're trying to escape Venezuela. Venezuela. Imagine what that does to a country. About 8 to 12 percent uh, is evangelical. Now those numbers are a little skewed because these include things like Mormon and Jehovah Witness, which I normally wouldn't include in evangelical. But anyway, so 8 to 12 percent. Uh, we have been in, a, in really a state of armed conflict for about 50 years. There are people such as FARC, ELN, uh, paramilitaries, uh, which cause problems still in red zones in Colombia. About 30% of the population live in poverty. 79% of indigenous children suffer from malnutrition. One to two children under the age of five in primarily our indigenous communities die of hunger every day. This is something easy to solve. This isn't medicine, this isn't sickness. This is, hey, if we give them some food, they won't die. Uh, this, this just talks straight hunger. It doesn't even talk about hunger-related diseases. Uh, about 50% of the population stated that they lacked food sometime in 2019. Estimated that more than 4 million people have been displaced due to the violence. 4 million people. That's a lot of people. And they still have a significant problem with human sex trafficking. If you keep on going. Uh, it's still considered a very high level of persecution under open doors, primarily from cartels. Why? Well, because they don't like what we preach. They attack a lot of pastors, they kill a lot of community leaders and pastors. And so they're still in the red zones especially. If you go on please. So really, what do we do? Well, we do a lot of things. First of all, we, we work with children's ministry and we try and develop children's programs in churches. Because we believe if we can affect this generation, the children right now, we can affect the future of the country. If we can build up Christian leaders, Christians right now, in 20 years from now, we're going to have Christians running the country. So we believe in, in not even going in and just us doing children's ministry, but we go in and believe in building children's ministry programs in churches throughout the region. If we go on, please. Not only children's ministry, but we do a lot of church planting. Uh, the the uh, superintendent of Columbia has come out and said that he wishes to plant 1,000 churches in the next five years. 
1,000 churches in five years. That's absolutely incredible. And so we're participating in that. We've got several church plants. Right here is in Pinchote. It's a garage. Uh, don't you know when you're in a place like this? A lot of people don't want to rent a Pentecostal. <laughs> Pentecostals are weird people. Yeah, we praise God. <laughs> and so here we are. We're going to praise God in the garage. That's fine with me. Uh, so wherever we can find a place, we'll rent it. We'll take it. Where there's a pole building or a garage. Uh, some of these other ones, Cabrera, Guanet, they are coming up. Church plants in the next year or two. So if we go on to the next slide, please. We also work with foundations, uh, existing foundations. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of places, um, red zones, where I cannot go. If I go there, I will be shot. So we work with foundations. One of the foundations that I love is called Foundation Blessing. And if we can play the next slide. And while we're playing this, I'll, I'll talk to you about this. Uh, they were worship leaders, uh, Jonathan and his wife. Now, he believed so strongly in music and the ability of music to impact lives that he wanted to use it to do something. He lives in a place called Okanya. And now Okanya is, a, is in a red zone. You'll see in this video all these kids. All those kids in this video have been affected by violence in some way. He was telling me a story about this one girl. And she's in, she's in this video. And he said, this girl, the ELN came in to her farm and told her father that they were taking the farm. And he said, wait, this is how I feed my family. He didn't let them take it. So what he did, the leader of, of the rebel group tied, took, the, took them all into the bedroom, tied up the little girl on a chair, tied up the father on a chair, and then the whole group of rebels started raping their mother in front of them. Once they had all finished, the leader shot the father in front of her. Killed him in front of her. This little girl, how do you recover? You've just seen so much violence. You've seen your father murdered in front of you. That little girl's in here. She's singing. Jonathan said to me, the first time that he saw this girl smile, it was the best day of his life happiest day of his life because he knew how much she had suffered and here she was in this video smiling and singing he uses music to touch these girls these girls have been raped they've been in sex slavery the boys have been abused uh, violence at home um, they're still minefields some of them have had their legs blown off and so he uses music to take their minds off of what they've experienced. You can go on to the next slide, please. And so we partner with them because we can't go there. But he's already there and he's doing an incredible job touching the lives of these wonderful children. And so we partner with him and we support him so he can continue doing that work there. If you go on. We also get into social projects like schools. Uh, these are government schools. We go in and we say, hey, let, let us help you. Let us uh, clean it up, repaint it, fix it up a little bit. And they let us preach 
while we're there. And uh, we get to teach some English, and we get re-invites to these places. And it's incredible that we get to share and teach uh, English using the Bible. And guess what? People come to know Jesus Christ through it. About 30% on average of uh, the people when we go into these schools end up coming to know Jesus. Go on to the next one. Uh, we also work with the indigenous Waiju and Kogi specifically. Uh, the Waiju are an incredible tribe up in the Guajira, which is the desert in Colombia. Uh, we're working on a well for them to, to help them offset some of this malnutrition and some of these deaths that are occurring in the children. Uh, the Waiju, just a, this is an incredible story. This woman right here, this woman right here, when the pastor went up to meet, to, to see the Waiju, he found that woman under a big tree, preaching about a son of God. Now, nobody had ever talked to them before, and he said, he came up to this woman, and in the Waiju language said, How, who are you talking about? How do you know about a son of God? And she said, God came to me in a dream and told me that he had sent his son and he said, well, let me tell you who that is. <laughs> That's Jesus Christ. There's now right, under, right next to where that tree is in the Gahira, there's now a church where they preach right next to that tree. Man, how awesome it is. God is still working. He's still giving dreams. He's still doing the incredible things around the world. And so we work with them. We're trying to, like I said, we've got one project right now working to try and put a well there. To, to try and irrigate some of the land. The land is extremely fertile. They just don't have water. If we can go on to the next, please. Seminary. Now, <laughs> if you're planting churches, you need pastors. It comes down to that. And God gave me a vision a few years ago. He said, I want you to do a Bible school. I said, okay. <laughs> How do I do a Bible school in Columbia? I don't know. But we're going to figure it out. So we did. And we started a seminary extension of the Assemblies of God in San Gil in Colombia. And if we can go to the next slide. This was last night. This was last night. We had our first 14 pastors graduate. <laughs> this, this, was, this was awesome. Uh, I was able to greet them, and I don't know if we've got any other photos. Uh, so you see me up on the screen. I was able to greet, greet them from from my office in the house. Uh, if we can go on to the other. And there's my wife. Because she was there, my mother-in-law had passed away. Um, and so she was in Colombia. And so they said, look, how about you come and sit at the table of honor where your husband would have been? And so I sent down my speech to her. Uh, and so she gave the speech last night at graduation for all of these pastors, uh, and I just greeted them on screen. If you go to the last uh, photo, I think. So here are our 14 pastors who graduated last night. So, so we have 65 more in the pipeline. 65 more. And that's right now, and they said last night, they said, Craig, we can't wait till you get back. <laughs> We've got more work. Praise God. So if we go on to the next one, so the seminary is a very big part of what we do, but we also do building projects. This is a church in Barichara uh, that's almost built. It needs a roof yet. If we go on to the next one, 
uh, and we preach and teach when they call us. Usually we try and stay in the background and try and build up pastors because indigenous pastors are much better at ministering than we are. But when they say, hey, look, we've got a ministry or a conference. Could you come and talk? Absolutely. I'm going to share the word of God wherever you want. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and so we do that. If you go on to the next one. And we have teams. We love teams. I, God called me into missions on a team. And so we have teams down. If you guys feel called to come down and visit Columbia, please, I would love to have you. Uh, and we can figure out, we do all sorts of stuff from children's ministry to construction to men's ministry to women's ministry. How about this? A prayer trip. We've got a group that might just be coming down and all they want to do is go around the area and pray for the region. That's awesome. <laughs> that is so cool. Okay, if we go into the next one. Uh, during the pandemic, things changed a little bit. We, we got up to about 25% unemployment. They shut down Columbia. We were allowed out of our house one day of a week for four hours. That was it. They actually brought in the military. And so if I went out without my ID, I would get arrested. Uh, it was fun. Uh, so when I was talking to my family up here, I sort of said, no, no, don't tell me about restrictions. <laughs> you, guys, you guys are like living in paradise. <laughs> But um, we were able to, to feed hundreds and hundreds of families because people up here donated to us. And so we bought uh, all sorts of stuff. You see there, eggs and just bags of groceries. And we handed it out to the pastors in the local churches. And you know what? Tons of people came to know Jesus Christ just through that food ministry of being able to hand it out and support them when they had nothing, when, they're hung when their families were going hungry. And the pastor said, here, please take some food. How awesome. And, and them saying, but why? Why are you doing this? I don't go to your church. The pastor said, because you need it and because we love you and Jesus loves you. How awesome. So even in the middle of the pandemic, Jesus was being proclaimed. If we go on, please. Uh, this is my wife doing children's ministry online. She do, I don't know if she really likes me putting this photo up here, but I think, I think they're great. <laughs> Uh, absolutely hilarious. Well, you've got to keep kids engaged, right? And so, I, especially online. So we did all sorts of crazy stuff online, and, and we had a blast doing it and uh, maintained the, the children's ministry, helping them out in the church there. If you go on. I would just ask you, would you just pray for us? Pray, pray for all missionaries, but would you pray for Columbia? Would you pray for us? Uh, we're looking to get back. We're in a year of itineration. I'd love to get back in January. There are some great projects, and, and they're looking for us to get back. Uh, and so keep us in prayer. And if you guys are touched, if God puts in your heart, we consider supporting us. We need monthly support. We need um, our cash budget increased. Uh, because of all the doors God's opened up, there, I, it opened up a lot more travel, and it opened up a lot more costs. <laughs> uh, and so we had to increase our budget this year because of everything God's, God's able to do. So it's, it's incredible, but we do need more support. So if God's placed that in your heart, would you consider supporting us? And then go. If you just uh, feel touched, would like to come. When we do teams uh, from different churches in the region, you could join one of them or bring a team. It doesn't matter if it's four or five people or 15 people. We would love to see you in Columbia. And you get to see just how incredible the people are. It's different than what you think. It's different than what you've heard in the news. 
But uh, thank you so much for, for taking the time to listen to my little speech about Columbia. I love Columbia. I love the people. But I also love being able to share God's word. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit today about this Father's Day. Now, I already told you that my wife has uh, been in Columbia now for the last two weeks. Two weeks. That means I've been a single father for two weeks with two children. I have a whole lot more respect for single parents right now. I really do. Uh, it has been interesting, uh, but it reminded me of a story, especially coming up on Father's Day here, of, of this uh, lady named Sonora Dodd. Now, Sonora Dodd, back in, 2000, uh, back in 1909, not 2009, to, uh, 1909, actually was at a uh, Mother's Day service at church. And she said, wait a minute, we need to honor dads. Because even though she was at a Mother's Day service, she and her five brothers were raised solely by their father. And so it was by her petitioning uh, the, the ministerium to be able to start this, this national Father's Day. And it was really birthed out of that. Now, there were elements before that, but this was really the final element that pushed us to having Father's Day. Now, over the years, things have changed. It's been commercialized. But there's still a place for today, there's still a place where we need to celebrate fathers. We need to celebrate men. So many times I feel like men are almost under-celebrated. Especially now, you know, the whole toxic masculinity, garbage stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't go for that. Men matter. Fathers matter. They're important. Just as women are important, God made us both. God made us both, and we're both important. I want to take the next few minutes, I want to look at three men in the Bible. The first one I want to look at is Joseph. Now, you guys, how many people here have heard of Joseph? All right. Joseph's pretty, you know, in Genesis, he takes up a lot of chapters, right? And a lot of stories we get for the kids and stuff like that out of Joseph. So a lot of people know about Joseph. Let me just give you a quick rundown, right? So we start in chapter 37. He's about 17 years old. He's really arrogant, right? He starts telling people, like, you know, how he had these dreams and how you all brothers, my older brothers, you're all going to bow down to me. Father, you're going to bow down to me too. Okay, here's a hint. In that culture, well, even now, that's a bad thing to do. Like, start telling people, you're going to bow down to me. Like, but back then, that was even worse. So anyway, his older brothers didn't like it, so they thought about killing him. One of the brothers said, no, hey, how about we just sell him? <laughs> okay, wow, nice brother. Uh, and so anyway, they sold him into slavery. He, uh, he goes down, he gets sold to Potiphar in Egypt, and uh, where he becomes a servant in Potiphar's house. And we see in all of these stories that God was with him. God was with Joseph. Now, in, in this story, of course, Potiphar's wife decides that she wants him, and so she tries to tempt him into sleeping with her. He says, no, uh, that's wrong. Anyway, she gets him thrown in jail. He goes to jail, meets a couple people, cupbearer, baker. Um, 
He interprets their dreams. Cupbearer goes back to Pharaoh, says, I'll remember you, I'll tell Pharaoh about you, but he lied and didn't. A couple years later, Pharaoh has some dreams. All of a sudden, Cupbearer says, Oh, yeah, I remember this guy. <laughs> yeah, my bad. Um, He's back in prison, but he can interpret dreams. Pharaoh says, okay, go get him. He comes up, cleans him up, puts him in, and uh, he interprets his dreams. And Pharaoh says, hey, okay, great. Now you're second ruler. All right, so there's like 13 years really quickly uh, in a couple minutes. But that's the general story. Okay, now this is, this is a pretty cool story. I mean, think about the things here. One, a couple of things I want us to note about Joseph. One He was patient. Remember, when this started, he was 17 years old when they sold him. Right Right now, when when Pharaoh lifts him back out of prison and puts him in a place of power, he's now 30 years old. 13 years. Now, that's patience. Now, a lot of people might have gone to the point where they're like, man, God, I'm giving up on you. I don't want anything to do with you. Like, seriously? (laughs) But yet, through this whole time, Joseph was faithful. He was, he was patient. He never gave up on God. He persevered in all of the difficult circumstances, whether it was the temptations, whether it was prison. He persevered. Now, 17 years later, or 13 years later, he's going to see those dreams finally come true. I, probably you've had some dreams. Probably God's placed things in your heart. I just encourage you, don't give up on them. Don't give up on these things just because you don't see them in your timing. It's, it's about God's timing, and, and, and God's timing is perfect. God first called me into missions in 2002. I didn't get to Columbia until 2016. That's 14 years. 14 years. But I knew God called me. Number two, he was teachable. Look at his response. Back then, when he was 17, he was so arrogant. But yet now, let's look at verses 45, 5 through 8. He says, And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And, and, and we read the end of it. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He's no longer the arrogant teenager. He's now mature. God used the process to mold him, to change him. So sometimes when we're being patient and we're waiting, let God mold us. Let God change you in the process to what he needs you to be. He changed Joseph into what he needed him to be for the person he was going to be in power. So if God needs you to be a certain person, he's going to put you through a process. And maybe that takes some time. Maybe there's a little waiting involved. Number three, he was faithful and self-controlled. He had self-control. Joseph remained faithful to God throughout his whole life. I mean, think about this. He's in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife throwing herself at him, and he's sitting there saying, no, no, no. And I love when we look at 39, 8 through 10, the one part that I love about this. He says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? How could I sin against God? He remained faithful to God. 
Throughout the difficulties, he remembered God. Another thing, number four, is forgiveness. Look at Genesis 50, verses 15 to 21. Especially 19 to 21. Let's look there. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Now let's look at the end. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Let me tell you, that kind of forgiveness can only come from God. We can't forgive that way except through God. Somebody wanted to kill you, threw you in prison, destroyed you for 13 years of your life, and you can forgive them. Man, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to live with bitterness in our hearts, that, that he gives us the strength through the Holy Spirit to forgive others. And it is a commandment to forgive, to keep on forgiving. It's interesting when we look at all of these, that all of these characteristics really fall within when we look at the gifts of the Spirit, right, and the fruit of the Spirit. But these are characteristics that we can see in Joseph that we should endeavor to have as men of God. And even as women of God, we should, we should try, endeavor to have these characteristics. Now there's another one I want to look at in Old Testament really quickly. And this one may not be as, as familiar. His name is Eliasar. Eliasar, son of Dodai. Now we find about Eliasar in 2 Samuel 23, 9 through 10. And I'll read this to you quickly because you probably aren't as familiar with this one. So it says, Next to him was Eliasar, son of Dodai, the Ahohite, as one of the three mighty men. He was with David when they taunted the Philistines, gathered it past Damim for battle. Then the men of Israel re- retreated, but he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines. Till his hands grew tired and froze to the sword, the Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Now we can read about this in First Chronicles. There's an, another uh, uh, story there that talks about it as well. Now these are the mighty men of David. This is like the elite, the special forces, the top soldiers. And here we have Eleazar. Strong. Faithful. I mean, when I look at this, I see, I see a soldier committed to God, committed to David, King David. He stood his ground, refused to retreat. And the word says, the Lord gave him the victory. Now, probably, <clears throat> when you guys leave today, I highly doubt you're going to run into a horde of Philistines you may run into some of their descendants. I understand that. <laughs> but more than likely not. But you are going to run into battles. You're going to run into battles every day. Guarantee it. And so let's take a look at Ephesians 6 for a second in verses 10 through 12. The Bible states, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You will encounter battles every day of your life. They are spiritual battles. We need Eliasers. We need people who are going to stand firm, who are going to fight the spiritual battles for their family, for their sons and daughters, for their wives. We need people who are going to fight the battle for their church, for lost souls. God has given us the armor. He's given us the weapon, the word of God, and he's told us how to. Prayer. We need men who are willing to stand and not fade, stand and not retreat, and win the battle. The battle is God's. It's interesting because as I was listening during worship, I said, you know, we need to surrender. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? That in order to win and fight the battle, we need to surrender. But we need to surrender to God so that he can fight through us. See, God's won the battle. It's God's battle. And he's told us how to fight it. But we need to surrender to him first. But we need men who are willing to stand up to say, yes, I will fight. I am willing to fight for my family. I'm willing to fight for my children. I'm going to give you some statistics in a couple minutes that's going to help you see why this is so important. The next person I want to talk about is is in the New Testament in Acts. His name is Philip. We find him four places in Acts. The first one I want to bring up is in Acts 6. Now, I want to put right now, say it's Philip the Evangelist, even though he doesn't have that name right now. See, there was a dispute going on between the, the uh, Hebraic Jews and the, the Grecian Jews, the widows, about food distribution. And so the apostle said, okay, hey, what we need to do is we need to find seven people who are, who are good people, and what we need to do is set them aside, and they're going to do that work so that we can keep preaching the word of God and, and keep praying, Right? And so what did they say? Well, let's look at Acts 6, 3, 3 through 6. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn the responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicolas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. This present, uh, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. We see here, we see Philip is a godly man. He's a man of wisdom and he's a man of the spirit. He's a man full of the spirit. However, he was not an apostle. And in fact, when we look at the Greek in this, they use the same word for serve and, and deacon. And so some people say, oh, he was a deacon. He wasn't a deacon. He was a servant. Some theologians would disagree, but most will agree and say, no, it looks like he was just a servant. So basically, he was a simply, a simply a godly man in the church in Jerusalem that was chosen to serve in a particular function. Not much more is said about him here, but we can, we can see from the rest of the text and some of the things that are said that he must have done a good job in this serving. This, this should be an honor. I mean, he was chosen to serve. One, one of seven chosen to serve. 
So many times I hear people kind of grumbling, like, yeah, I serve in church. I... Man, you should be joyful. Be like, yes, I get to serve in church. Yes, I get to clean the toilets. Praise God. I've cleaned toilets. <laughs> Hallelujah. Why? Because, you know what, if I clean the toilet and the bathroom looks really nice and a guest comes in and sees that, they're, they're going to be happy. They'll be like, oh, wow, they've got really nice, they've got nice bathrooms. It's not just a menial task. If we look at it as serving God, it's something special. And if you put your effort into that, regardless of what it is, and, and think about it, no, I'm, I'm serving God. Man, let's have joy when we're cleaning the toilet. Let's be like, yes, I am cleaning the toilet for Jesus. Because that could make the impact of a visitor coming back. It, it just could. Maybe that's what's important to them. Like, oh, if they don't have clean restrooms, that shows they're not very clean. Trust me, you don't know the impact. So whatever you're serving in, do it with joy. Serving in the church is an honor and a privilege. It truly is. And we see here that, uh, that Philip took that as an honor. The second time we see Philip is in Acts 8, in uh, chapter 8, 4 through 7. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytic and cripples were healed. So there was great joy. Remember, Samaritans were not the people that Jews wanted to talk to they would walk five miles around a Samarian to get away from them so he didn't have to go through Samaria. They considered them half-breeds. They were kind of half-Jew, mixed-Jewish breed. They didn't want anything to do with them. And so here we find Philip going to Samaria. This is awesome because, look, what does Jesus tell them just in Acts 1.8? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem. Where? In Judea and Samaria. And to the ends of this earth. Philip believed what Jesus said, obeyed what he said, and he went to Samaria, the hated people of the Jews. But he did it. And guess what happened? People came to know Jesus Christ through it. We need to be like Philip. First of all, obey Christ. Even if it means sharing Christ with someone you don't like. But we also see that not only did he just share the gospel, but he did it with evidence of miracles. Man, I'll tell you, miracles are awesome. I, I, I've, I've been in a, a service where we had a kid come up and his one leg, I don't know, it was like an inch and a half, two inches shorter. <laughs> right? And he limped in and, man, this poor kid, like the other kids were running around and this kid, uh, he, you could see he was sad. And it, it, this, was, this, is, this is funny, but I, I was sitting in the, just like the third row 
and we had a prophet, and this was in Colombia. And uh, so he, he called up people to be healed, and there was this kid that went out for healing. And then he looked at me and he said, Craig, you come here. And I said, what? He said, come up here. And so they put out another chair because they thought that I was being called up for healing. And the, and the prophet said, no, no, no. He's going to pray for this boy. Now, I'll tell you, three months after I got married, my wife got diagnosed with cancer. Three months. And I prayed for God to heal my wife, and God didn't heal her the way I wanted him to. So I was a little bit of a skeptic. And so when he called me up to pray for healing for somebody, I was like, I am not the guy you really want to pray. <laughs> somebody else? Other gringo? Where's the other, another gringo? No, there's no other gringos here. Okay. <laughs> so I go up on a mic. I'm like, all right. And, and so he grabs my hand and he puts it on the boy's leg and he says, pray for him. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> like, Lord, heal this boy. He said, no. He said, pray for him. I'm like, all right. So I pray for him. And you know what? I started to watch the legs boy grow. <laughs> Have you ever seen a leg grow? I'm, I'm like... This is weird. I'll be honest, it's weird. His legs grow on. I mean, our legs grow, but you don't see them grow, right? Because you're a kid and just slowly. No, his leg grew. And I'm sitting there like, oh, Lord. <laughs> now you're just messing with me. <laughs> Man, that kid got out of there running and jumping. And I'll tell you what, people came to know Jesus through that miracle. See, when we see the power of God really working, people are amazed. People are like, oh, oh my goodness, like, there's something special. Yeah. God still does miracles. We should expect miracles. We should expect them. He still does them. Just like here we have Philip. No, he took the word of God, but he took miracles. And what does it say? There was great joy in the city because people came to know him through the power of God, through the word of God, and through seeing the miracles that he performed because God allowed them to be performed. We see Philip one more time in, in chapter 8. And this time, a, a messenger comes to him and says, Okay, hey, now you're going to go down. Um, I want you to go to this road. And uh, yeah, you're going to hang out. Okay, so he goes, he obeys. That's pretty cool. And uh, so then the Holy Spirit comes on him and says, okay, go up to the chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch and listen. And so he does. And so the Ethiopian eunuch's in there, and he's reading the scripture. Now, he's reading Isaiah. And so Philip says to him, hey, do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> and the guy goes, no. <laughs> Don't have a clue. <laughs> and he says, okay, well, let me tell you, it's chapter 53 in Isaiah. Of course, he didn't have chapter 53. I'm ad-libbing. Uh, it's chapter 53. This is the, the suffering servant. This is talking about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And that Ethiopian eunuch accepted Christ and said, let's be baptized. 
they got out and got baptized. One more time we hear about Philip. It's in chapter 21 of Acts. In verses 8 and 9, it says, Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, it's only two verses, but I've got to tell you, this is a really cool section of Scripture. I could do a whole other sermon on it if you want me to continue. It's, it's, I'm only a little over. I mean, you give me another hour, I could... No, I, I, I'm taking that means no. <laughs> okay, anyway. <laughs> so, so we got this. There's just two points I want to bring out here. Just two points. First of all, we see Philip now, now referenced as Philip the Evangelist. You see, now we see his reputation. See, now, man, Philip's been going out and preaching the word of God, and people are coming to know Christ through him. He's going out to wherever God calls him to, and he's doing the work of the Lord. And so now he's got a reputation as the evangelist. What we do, we will get a reputation for. I pray that it's a good reputation, and it's a reputation for being godly men and women. But the second part I want to note here is really cool. In verse 9, seven words in verse 9. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. <laughs> this is so cool, right? Because we skip over this. We've probably read this a hundred times. We skip over it. We don't think much about it. But think about this. Philip's life, servant in the church, evangelist in Samaria, to the Ethiopian eunuch, And then we have here four daughters that were all prophets. That's an awesome dad. Because he took what he preached and he applied it in his house. He had four daughters who were prophets. My goodness. He raised his kids right. That is a good father. Let, let me give you some statistics. And, you know, we're talking, this is Father's Day. I want to talk to you about fathers and, and some statistics, and we're going, to, we're going to finish with this, right? Number one, according to data collected by Promise Keepers and Baptist Press, if a father does not go to church, even if his wife does, only one child in 50, one in 50 will become a regular worshiper. That was one study. If a father does go regularly, regardless of what the mother does, between two-thirds and three-quarters, so 66 to 75 percent of the children will attend church as an adult. If a father attends church irregularly, so every now and then, between 50 and 66 percent of their kids will attend church with some regularity. If the mother does not go to church, but a father does, a minimum of two-thirds of their children will end up attending church. In contrast, if a father does not go to church, but the mother does, on average, 66% of the children will not attend church. Here's some more stats. When both parents attend a Bible study in addition to just a Sunday service, 72% of their children will end up attending 
a Sunday school or a class when they're a grown adult. When only the father attends Sunday school, it drops to 55. When only the mother attends, it drops to 15%. When neither parent attends Sunday school, only 6%. Another survey found that if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there is a 3.5% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. If the mother is the first to become a Christian, there is a 17% probability. But look at this one. If the father is the first one to become a Christian, there is a 93% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. 93%. This study was done over about 20 years. If the man, if the father comes first, 93%. This one's a slightly different one. If the children see father serving in church, 75% of them will continue in a committed church relationship. If they do not see their father serving, it drops to 15%. Now, a committed church relationship, we've been talking about attendance a lot, but a committed church relationship includes things like serving. Okay, so it's a little bit more, a little bit more in depth. So if the father serves in church, there's a 75% chance that their son or daughter will serve in church as an adult. Whereas if the father does not serve, it drops to 15%. That's scary. We need men to stand up, to take leadership, leadership of families, to become the leader of the family. We need them to fight like Eliezer. We need them to stand up and fight for their wife that God's given you and to fight for your children that God's given you, to fight for the church that he's placed you in, Serve in church, my goodness. It is, I mean, you might think, oh, it's, but I don't really have that much time. Think about what it is, the example you're giving to your children. It's not just about you. It should be a joy to serve in church, regardless of what you're doing, how menial the task or how important, or how you think it is, they're all important to God. I want to, I want to end this with just some steps you can take. One, check your spiritual walk with Christ. Do you need help? Do you need an accountability partner? Do you need someone to help to disciple you? Number two, check your character. Are, are we like Joseph? Do we trust God even in difficult circumstances? Are we patient with God when he calls us to do something, but we're edging to do it. How about when temptation comes? Are we faithful to God and our wife? Do we forgive instead of harboring bitterness? 
Do we have the fighting spirit like Eliasar that we can stand and fight for our family, fight for our children, and fight for the lost souls and for church? Or how about our family? Are you the spiritual leader in the family? Are you leading with prayer? Are you leading with devotions? Leading your family in devotions? If not, what steps can you take to become that spiritual leader? Are you serving at church? If not, why? Why aren't you? And and if you are, are you serving with joy? You know, there's, there's all sorts of tests out there, and I'm sure uh, Pastor Dave or any of the, the pastors, Pastor Brian, or any of the, any of the pastors, Pastor Heller here, it could, could walk you through taking some of these spiritual gift tests. He, you know, what do you, get an idea of what, what you can do. They want you to be successful. <laughs> so you could figure out what it is that you could, how you could serve better or what, maybe try something else. But they're here for your success. Are you praying for your church? Are you praying for your community? This is your church. God's placed pastors here to lead it, but it's your church. Are you praying for it? Well, you've got to serve in it and, 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 and pray for this church. I'm going to finish with, just end up with, with some prayer. I'd like... Any of the men who are fathers here, if you're a father, would you stand up? I'd like you to stand up. I want to start with this. Let's pray. I want to pray for you guys first. Father, I just pray for each and every man that is represented here that is a father. God, I pray right now that you would just pour your spirit out on them. God, I pray that you would give them new vision for their family. It doesn't matter whether they're grown adult children or whether the children are still, are still babies, God. I pray that you would give them a vision for their family. I pray that you would help them to be leaders. I pray that you would help them to be fighters, God, to fight for their wife, to fight for their children, to fight for their, for their church, God. Give them just a, a new portion of spirit to, to reach out, to fight, God. Help them to be the leaders they need to be, that you've called them to be, to be the men that you've called them to be, to lead their families in every endeavor, to pray with them. Help us to get through this, some of our times of our hearts, to to be humble and, and to let our guards down and to be vulnerable with our families a little bit and to pray with them. It doesn't matter whether it's an adult child or a young child. Let them see you being leader of your family. Help them in every aspect, God, that they, children, would see great examples. We praise you, Lord. Well, I just ask if there's any other man here that you, you, you may not be a father yet. God, I would just appreciate all men, any man here, to stand up. Boys, men, males. <laughs> Lord, I pray for these men. I pray, God, that you would give them the Spirit. I pray that you would give them just an overflowing of the Spirit, that they could be examples of men, 
Christian man to this world. God, I pray that you, even young men who are not fathers yet, but perhaps will be in the future, God, I pray for them. I pray for that future. Right now, they would start to learn that they need to be the leader of the family, that they need to be the leader of their children and their wife. They need to love them, to lead them spiritually. They're their priests. Help them to learn that now. So in the future, they will be that leader. God, I pray for every man here, God, that you would put in them and your spirit to be able to work hard to, to serve you in whatever it is that you have called them to do, whether that's in the church or to sharing about you, wherever that may be, that they would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for each and every man in here. God, this represented just standing here, God. Touch them. Let them know that you are God. That you are God and that they are examples. People are watching them. Help them to be an example wherever they are, inside of church or outside of church. I pray for people, for families that may not have a father present. In, in the family. I pray that you would bring a godly man around that family. If they have children, that you would be an example, that you would provide an example of a good godly man for those families. And maybe one of these men standing here will be that example for that wife or for that, the, the children of that wife that doesn't have someone there. Put that in their spirit so there's an example, so, so people, children are growing up with an example of Christian men. Father, I praise you and I thank you for this wonderful Father's Day. Go with us now as we, as we finish. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor Dave. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Craig. Um, Craig is going to be out in the foyer uh, on your way out. Uh, you can get a prayer card from him and connect with him. Uh, also, for men, uh, any man that's here today, we have some special Father's Day gifts for all the men. Um, they're on a table out there. Miss Laura has. Pastor Heather has the VBS table out there as well. And then don't forget to take a half pan for the church picnic if you're planning on coming to that there at, before you leave. So that's a lot. So everybody stand. I'd like to bless you all before we go today. And Craig, you can make your way back to the foyer if you want to. That way you can be there for the, for the folks as they exit out. And uh, thanks for being here today. Happy Father's Day to all of our men. And uh, if you're a woman and you've got a man, uh, be thankful for that man you've got, right? You know? Amen? Uh, there are no perfect men in this room. <laughs> right, guys? That's right. We all know. So be thankful, and uh, let's, bless, let's bless everybody. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for, for our dads especially today. Bless them. Lord, for all of our men, bless them too, Lord. Help them to step into whatever role you have for them. And Lord, for our ladies as well, Lord, bless them. We thank you for them, Lord, today. And we just thank you for, for Craig, for this ministry that he's doing in Columbia. We pray your blessing upon him. Lord, help him to fulfill all that you've called him to do. And uh, we'll praise you and thank you for this, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray a blessing on your people as we go from this place to enjoy uh, this beautiful summer day you've given to us, Lord. Uh, happy Father's Day to every man. We pray for you to especially bless our fathers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord, bless you folks. Have an awesome, awesome week.